Best case ever. Best case ever. Yes, this is EM Case's Best Case Ever mini podcast series, and I'm your host, Dr. Anton Hellman. In anticipation of our main podcast episode on tachydysrhythmias with Amamatu and Paul Dorian slotted for release in July, and in anticipation of a live podcast with three of the world's leading researchers in cardiac arrest research from the Resuscitation and Motion Conference coming in September, it's my pleasure to have back on the show Dr. Melanie Bamel, who you may remember from our episodes on hyponatremia and soft tissue infections. She's going to be telling her best case ever. But before we do, just a couple of announcements. In the fall of this year, the EM Cases team will be unveiling the brand new, super duper, ultimate path to knowledge retention in EM goldmine, the EM Cases Quiz Vault. Now, if you had a chance to listen to the June main episode on effective learning strategies in EM, you'll know that the best way to retain knowledge after you've listened to a podcast or read the show notes or watched a rapid reviews video is to actively test yourself. You know, whether you're studying for board exams or you work in a rural community and you need to fulfill CME requirements, or you just feel your EM knowledge slipping after many years of practice, the Quiz Vault will satisfy your learning needs. And a bit of sad news, because of some new ridiculous rules at Apple, the EM Cases app can no longer be updated. So how did this happen? So the app is run through a third-party Agile MD who have been very generous in providing us with the platform for the app for free, but Apple is no longer allowing this third-party kind of arrangement. So while the app contains pretty much the entire EM Cases archive of written summaries, show notes, and blogs from 2010 to mid-2018, there'll be no material going forward. But don't fret, you can still access all the written summaries of the main episode podcasts on the EM Cases website. Just hit summaries on the navigation bar. Or if you prefer, we have all the summaries via Evernote or Dropbox. Just hit the icons for Evernote or Dropbox on the summaries page to get your automatic feeds. So now, on to Dr. Bamel's best case ever. So my best case ever is that of a previously healthy 60-year-old gentleman who presented in refractory V-fib arrest. He had been shocked multiple times in the field, including with double sequential therapy. He'd also received amiodarone. And when he arrived in the recess bay uh, after 20 minutes of, of downtime, I thought to myself, there wasn't much else that we can do. But then I remembered, listening to Dr. Jordan Chankin and Anton last year at EMU, that esmolol could be really effective in these cases because this condition represents a catecholamine surge and more epinephrine is not necessarily going to help. So we requested esmolol from the ICU and we pushed 0.5 milligrams per kilogram over one minute and it worked like magic. In the next pulse and rhythm check, the patient was in sinus rhythm with a pulse. Thank you, Anton and Jordan, for helping me save a life. I paid her to say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) That was really magical. I was really thankful. 
So a little bit more on Esmolol. Esmolol, as you probably know, is a beta blocker with a really fast onset of action and a very short half-life. Now in refractory VF, like Dr. Babel alluded to, you want a sympatholytic. You want to break that vicious sympathetic surge caused not only by the VFib arrest itself, but also the three milligrams or more of epinephrine that you've probably already given. Remember that epi increases oxygen consumption and myocardial dysfunction, and beta blockers are perfect as a sympatholytic. Esmolol also increases the fibrillation threshold, an added bonus. Now, the evidence for Esmolol and VFib arrest isn't the greatest. There's no big RCTs, but when you've tried everything else, it's worth a try. You certainly can't cause any harm. The patient's dead already. There are a handful of older studies looking at other beta blockers besides Esmolol and cardiac arrest that were promising, but those were in the days when ACLS was performed quite differently. The evidence for Esmolol and refractory VF in modern times comes from two studies, really. There's a 2014 study that compared six patients who got Esmolol after usual ACLS care with 19 controls who just got usual ACLS care. All six patients achieved ROSC after 500 micrograms per kilogram IV bolus, followed by a drip of a maximum of 100 micrograms per kilogram per minute of Esmolol, with four of those patients achieving sustained ROSC And here's the amazing part. Survival to discharge with a good neurologic outcome was 50% in the Esmolol group versus 11% in the control group. Now, this was a tiny, tiny study, but the results were quite impressive. Then in 2016, there was another retrospective study out of a single center in Korea that compared 16 patients who got Esmolol to 25 patients who didn't in refractory VF. They used the same dosing of Esmol as the previous study, again, after usual ACLS care. So three shocks, three milligrams of epinephrine, and 300 milligrams of amiodarone. And they got similar findings, improved rates of ROSC and improved survival to ICU. So while we're waiting for some bigger multicenter RCTs, for now, I think it's reasonable to consider Esmolol after three shocks, three milligrams of epi, and 300 milligrams of amio in your refractory VF patients. So Esmolol isn't ready for routine use in this setting, but I really do think it should be considered as part of the sort of kitchen sink when nothing else is working. Now, sometimes Esmolol is hard to get your hands on, especially in an arrest situation. So when it comes to logistics, when you get that call patched in of a refractory VF patient coming into your ED, pre-mix your 300 milligrams of amiodarone, pre-mix your 500 micrograms per kilogram of Esmolol, and prepare for dual defib by bringing two defibrillators to the bedside, turn them on, pre-charge the defibrillators, and have those pads ready to be put on the patient as soon as they arrive. Now, if all that doesn't work, there's always the old ultrasound-guided stellate ganglion block that'll take out that sympathetic drive to the heart. I know, it sounds like a kind of crazy move, but again, you ain't really got nothing to lose when you have a dead person in front of you. Now, before we leave you, there are only a handful of tickets left for Podcast Camp, the course about med-ed podcast production, this coming October in Toronto, with guest faculty Hans Rosenberg from MRAP and EM Case's master interviewer and host Rajiv Thalvanathan. In two days, you'll learn everything you need to know about producing kick-ass medical education podcasts. Go to podcastcamp.org to get your tickets. 
And the other exciting news is that we've added a second day to the serially sold out fourth annual EM Cases course. This day two of the course will be dedicated solely to simulation. And the simulation will be specifically geared to practicing emergency physicians. So after discussing cases and small group workshops with the EM Cases guest experts on day one of the course, you get to apply what you've learned in the simulation the very next day. We're very excited to have back to the course airway guru George Kovacs, the brains behind POCUS cases Rob Samard, the walking encyclopedia of EM Walter Himmel, ENT master Lior Summer, and new to the course pediatric trauma team leader Sue Benno with Kylie Bosman leading a workshop on pediatric trauma. So mark your calendars. It'll be February 9th and February 10th, 2019. So until next time, take it easy. Thank you.